What is up, everybody? Happy, happy Wednesday when you hear this, actually. Uh, and happy eight days before the NFL draft. Uh, welcome to another episode of Turn on the Just Digital Presents Draft Season. We are the four horsemen of the TOJ draft coverage this season. I am D.A. Osario, joined as always by James Kuntz, live from Chicago, where we didn't let him sleep in today. Michael Meegan and Joseph Bellick. Meegs, I'll start with you. How you feeling, man? Uh, doing well, you know, drafts really, I just wanted to get here at this point. There's just so much stuff that it's just growing tiresome. We just want it to happen. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think we need to hear any more narratives. I think, I think everybody's kind of fed up and ready to see where guys go. James, how are you feeling, man? Doing well, doing well. Joe, how about you? I'm excited, Dalvin. The draft is approaching and we have uh, Matt Wolven coming on today. Someone I respect and admire in the scouting community community. So needless to say, I I'm pumped. Yeah, yeah, and it's gonna it's gonna be a good episode. Uh, first, you guys know the you guys know the drill: seven rounds of draft talk. Uh, we try to keep it under twenty eight minutes, but sometimes, like last week when we have a kick ass interview, we go a little bit longer. But let's jump right in, guys. Let's grade this this mock that that was sent to us. Um, Joe, I will start with you because I'm curious. I'm curious your thoughts here. What did you first tell the folks who who was the pick and what did you think of the of the pick and did you think it was good value where the Jets selected this player? Yeah, I like this pick. It was Eric Stokes at 66. Uh, corner is a big-time need, and I'm pretty high on Stokes. But let me take a step back and touch on the cornerback position in general for a second. I think corner is becoming increasingly more valuable. We all know that it's already a premium position. But when you look at all these wide receivers coming into the league, and both last year and this year's draft classes are a great example, the cornerback crop is just not matching up. There just aren't many good corners coming into the league which isn't surprising because it's such a tough position to play when everything is set up for the wide receiver to win. So if you could find a versatile prospect like Stokes who can match and mirror in man and displays the instincts and football IQ to play in zone, I think you have to pull the trigger sooner rather than later. At the same time, teams have to be careful not to overdraft the player if the supply doesn't meet the demand. Now, we don't have that problem in this particular mock with Stokes falling to 66, which I think would be a draft day blessing since I personally have a second grade, second round grade on him. So I like this pick here. I gave it an A, although I highly doubt he'll be available in this spot. The film is good and his athletic profile is near elite. He's a late second round selection at the very, very worst in my opinion. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't get past the Eagles at 37 or potentially the Jets at 34. Yeah, and the Eagles, the Eagles are a team to watch, especially in the corner market, because they have nothing in that secondary. They have a lot up front in the pass rush, but they really don't have anything in the secondary. Meigs, you and I share a similar opinion to Eric Stokes. I think he's better in zone. I think he's better fit to be in a zone scheme at the next level. I know you share that. What are your thoughts on this pick uh, at 66 if the Jets landed Stokes? I really like the pick because I really like him in the scheme that Sal is going to be running. And I, I think Eric Stokes is like a top 45 player in this class. I think he's going to go in the middle of the second round. I could see him going like as high as Joe said with the Eagles. I don't know if, I don't know if the Jets would take him at 34, but he fell at 66. I think it's really good value. I really like the day two corners in this class. And I think it'd be smart if the Jets use one of their, what either 34 or 66 to address corner. And Stokes is a premium athlete who I think would really thrive in the scheme and compliments Bryce Hall really well. And Jet fans should know that this 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 means that we do not think that Javelin Goodry should be the starter opposite of Bryce Hall. <laughs> James, I'll go to you. Uh, you 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 recently finished breaking down film on Stokes. What did you think of him? I know you had asked me what his worst film is, and I said Bama, but I think that's everybody's worst film. What did you think of him? Well, I was really impressed by uh, by Eric Stokes. Um, I actually thought Bama was pretty good in terms of his performance uh, against Bama specifically. He gave up two catches against Devonta Smith. One was for 10 yards on some sort of comeback route. And then the other was a corner route in the red zone that he gave up a touchdown on, but on both plays, he was in phenomenal position relative to the receiver and he did his best to fight through the hands. So I think overall, when you look at his game, Stokes is extremely athletic. He's scheme versatile. He, is pretty grabby in his routes, but in the four games I watched, he only had one defensive pass interference called on him, which I think speaks to the way in which he is grabby, but doesn't um, allow the refs to call it on him. I think one of the things that's phenomenal about Stokes is that he capitalizes on opportunities to force turnovers. He never drops interceptions. And we know in the NFL, if you win the turnover battle, you win 62% of games. And so finding that edge is really important for teams. Uh, to get. So I think with Stokes, I haven't really understood how he's been trending downward in mock drafts. 
Um, the film hasn't changed. He played top tier competition and he's a very good player. And so I would feel pretty comfortable taking him in the mid second round um, if the Jets were to trade back from 34. And I will say, you just, you made a point that I think Shannon Sharp made really well this week. He said, he was talking about Justin Fields, but I think it can apply to a lot of these guys, right? Uh, if you were, if you were a top 30, top 40 selection three months ago, and you've played no games since then, right? <laughs> that what's changed in people's minds that suddenly makes you think that you should go in round four or whatever, because I think you're right. I think when in tracking the average draft position in mock drafts for Eric Stoltz, it's just gotten worse. <laughs> it's just gotten lower and lower, which is why I think at 66, it's really good value. Guys, let's jump right into, right into our interview. We are joined today by Atlanta Georgia's own Matt Waldman, the creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, football guy, senior staff writer. Matt, thank you for joining us. I wanted to play some Ray Charles to welcome you to the show, but James told me that I should leave the music to our editor, so I did not do that for you. How are you doing? Well, I like the choice. So <laughs> you're, whoever your editor is, they don't get brownie points today. That's so, it. That's there it. we go. <laughs> That's it. If, awesome. you, if you have to get a second check on Ray Charles, you need some music lessons. That's there all I got to go. say. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's, let's jump right in, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, I, we want to talk to you and my, and the way this is going to work is we're going to go around the horn, kind of just ask you some questions. Joe's got some rapid fire questions he's going to throw at you. Um, but I'm going to start right off, the, right off the bat. The big conversation, you know, on Jets Twitter is the quarterback position, right? It's Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. Now you are joined by four guys who think that Justin Fields should be the pick, even though it seems like, you know, Woody Johnson is going to honor his JetBlue, you know, commitments and draft Zach Wilson at two. I'm going to ask you a question about the pass catchers, though, because I like this. I like the group that the Jets have, but I still think that they need a little more. Who do you think, if Zach Wilson is the pick, who do you think is the perfect wide receiver to complement his game if the Jets opt to add a receiver in round two or three? Um, a receiver who can go up and win the ball in tight coverage. Um, someone who's going to be able to work back to the ball very quickly out of their breaks um, because you need, you're going to need a receiver who attacks the football and who can win when the passes aren't pinpoint in certain ranges of the field where um, Wilson is going to be tempted to throw in situations that are going to be meaningful. Um, so when that, when it comes down to that, you know, obviously you're looking what probably second round at this point for a wide receiver, you know, a guy that certainly Denzel Mims is good at those things already, and he will become a better quarterback or a better receiver as time, you know, continues as long as he's working at his craft. Um, but, you know, another receiver that can work inside and outside for you, give you a little bit of, um, you know, versatility would be a guy like Rashad Bateman in early round two, who is just a fantastic player. I think he's probably, he's, He's probably one of the three to four best receivers in this class, but will fall because he was listed at 6'2", 210 before he got COVID. Um, and he had a really rough bout of it. And he was listed at 190 at his pro day, but he had a fantastic pro day and had apparently gained weight before his pro day. So you could tell that this guy played at a very underweight level and probably not nearly 100% in 2020. If you go back and watch his 2019 tape, you see a guy who really understands routes, understands how to work back to the ball in the middle of the field. And I'd say he's the perfect receiver for Zach Wilson because one of the problems that Zach Wilson's has that he'll have to work on is not trying to throw hospital balls in the middle of the field. Um, so, you know, um, Rashad Bateman is probably the best receiver in this class at being able to avoid going to the hospital in situations where um, a lot of receivers would take those big hits. And he's very good after the catch as well. Um, wide catch radius can play inside, outside, kind of a, you know, I was comparing him more to Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen in terms of his style of play. But if you drop the weight, and say, okay, maybe he's going to play at 200 at some point in his career, or, you know, then you might say, maybe he's more in the line of what CD lamb can offer you, which is inside outside the ability to make tough plays, ability to run after the catch. He may not be as good as CD lamb, you know, at this stage of his career and where they're coming out, but he's certainly a guy that you can mention CD lamb in the neighborhood of what his style is about. 
I love that you mentioned Keenan Allen because actually when I first started taking my notes preparing like preparing during the season, I was like, he has a little Keenan Allen game. So his game is very reminiscent to Keenan Allen. Um, I love the Michael Thomas mention. Michael Thomas is one of my favorite receivers in the league. So I, I think, and honestly, you nailed it with the hospital balls because I think Zach Wilson, the one thing he's going to have to figure out is how to not get his receivers killed over the middle. That's going to that's gonna be a thing that he's going to have to figure out sooner rather than later because Denzel Mims might body slam him if he doesn't learn that, if he doesn't learn that earlier. James, I'm they're not all totally rapid fire. Feel free to elaborate, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, but I really want to hear your thoughts on the Jets' backfield as presently constructed with guys like Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, and of course, Pirine. Should Jets fans be comfortable with this current setup? And if not, who are some prospects in the draft they could target that could potentially make an immediate impact in this wide zone system? Yeah, I would say the answer is no. Um, Tevin Coleman is someone that has the experience in the wide zone system and he's gotten better as a player. Certainly I watched him Atlanta. He had a lot to learn as a wide zone runner when he came from IU and IU ran a wide zone and he still wasn't ready for it in the NFL. They had to go to gap plays to get him on field. Um, but he got better and he's a competent running back who can deliver for you in the passing game. So he gives you big play option. Um, but then when you look at Ty Johnson, certainly I think people saw the excitement of what he was able to do during the season. And people hope that maybe you've got some lightning in a bottle with him. And he is a, an exciting player, but as a between the tackles back, there's still things that you have to um, question about his game. He's going to have to prove in terms of being a, a powerful enough guy who can stay fresh and deliver for you consistently week after week. LaMichael P Ryan, we talked about him last year, Joe it was, you know, he's a, He's a guy that NFL coaches are going to love um, as a, as a mid to late round pick because he does everything well enough. Um, but he doesn't do anything special enough that you're going to look at him and say, that's our starter for, for contracts length of time. Um, so to me, who you can get, well, Khalil Herbert would be a nice pick that you could probably get in the third or fourth round who can run wide zone. You can run some gap. He's extremely fast. Um, or fast enough to be a field stretcher. He's someone that really has excellent movement. Um, he's skilled at being able to um, bend around um, obstacles and, and pursuit at a high rate of speed, as well as being able to make dynamic cuts. Um, he breaks tackles as well. He's a guy that kind of um, got on the radar late because he played at Kansas and then he transferred to Virginia Tech where he had a big season. But this guy reminds me of a Dalvin Cook starter kit. You know, he's a guy that not as good as Dalvin Cook, but certainly functions stylistically in a very similar way. And he could very well turn out to be a lead back or a starter in this league. Um, he'd be a nice fit for them. If Trey Sermon falls below the second round, um, and honestly, for me, because Trey Sermon to me is the best, the most talented back in this class. He just doesn't fit all the profile that that, you know, teams look at when they determine first round picks. And a lot of that is high end production lack of an injury history, great 40 time, which doesn't mean crap for a running back really compared to the other things that you need to do. Um, but he has, you know, excellent, he has excellent burst, excellent change of direction skill, very much like Dalvin Cook. He can kind of bend around um, runners, which is a rare skill, that curvy linear movement, but he can also make the cuts. He's also more powerful than, um, than Khalil Herbert. He can, he catches better than people realize. Those are two guys later rounds, Josh Johnson is a Devonta Freeman type of back at you from out of UL Monroe. You might be able to get him sixth or seventh round. And there's something to his game that might surprise enough that I wouldn't be surprised if he um, wound his, you know, within two to three years, he winds up as a committee back where you could have kind of a Freeman um, Coleman type of combination out of those two backs there. Um, so those are guys that, kind of fit it. Um, Jamar Jefferson would be the last 5'10", 217. He's got the speed. He runs toss really well at Oregon, um, but that's, he can run outside zone. And I think that he's a guy that could surprise and be a nice fit. His pad level is a little something less to be desired. You'd like to see him be use his pads a little bit better because he has the power to become a, a lead back, but he doesn't express it well enough technically um, to, to really do it consistently. If he can make that one tweak, that would be, it would be interesting to see, you know, how his game could develop from there. So those are some guys to consider. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you brought up somebody like Khalil Herbert and even Trey Sermon, who might possibly go in the third round, even though I, I think he has a chance to even go in the second round. And it, and it brings up an interesting topic for the Jets and the debate we've been having internally among the guys here. 
the Jets have been getting mocked at running back in the first or second round pretty consistently. Some fans are happy about it and others aren't. Now, I'm not a huge proponent of drafting a running back in the first round, but the second round seems to be a sweet spot for dominant backs with players like Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and last year, even Jonathan Taylor going in that range. Still, there is this frame of mind out there that, quote unquote, running backs don't matter, and that even the second round is too early to invest in the position. What are your thoughts on that? Is there any validity to their claim? Why are running backs devalued by some draft nicks out there? Well, because a lot of people embrace the analytics movement where the analytics movement basically is about um, you build through the draft and then when guys hit free agency, you don't pay them. Um, and, and so it doesn't matter how good the guy is, you don't pay him. You know, the fact that someone says that people will make points on the internet to say that Ezekiel Elliott isn't an elite back and isn't worth what he was worth or that Todd Gurley wasn't worth what he was worth um, is just, it's just shtick. That's all it is. It's just, it's just for clicks for, it's for eyeballs. It's all that stuff. I talked to people who have analytics backgrounds who worked in the league in, as analytics people and not, not basically shilling some product where they deal with a quality uh, QA coach, but actually have direct lines to GMs and worked with people who, you know, at a higher up level um, and aren't selling a product, you know, that's based on stats. And as a result of that, what they talk about is, I mean, it's really tailored to the individual situation. You know, I mean, are you really going to say that if you took Todd Gurley in his prime out of the LA Rams that they would have made the Super Bowl? Are you really going to say that Ezekiel Elliott, you, you know, is, you know, you look at his game and it's just ridiculous because people use EPA and sometimes there's some questionable things about EPA that in terms of how people, you know, look at that, you know, expected points and how they how they use that as an, an analysis and you got to understand that it's it's individual to the situation should you should you necessarily draft a, a running back in the first round um because of the fact that he's a great player but you can find a number of other players of or he's a good player and there's other players of similar caliber um you can wait a little bit because also, you know, the way the league has evolved and the importance of the running back isn't as great as it once was because of the way the rules have changed, you know, so I get that there's some validity to that. But at the same token, if you're a team that's that your decision is, you know what, every team in the league is now playing against the trend of, um, you know, is basically playing in a passing offense and a spread offense. So now defenses are all playing nickel and quarters you know, on a regular basis and you decide, you know what, we're going to be those teams. We're going to be trying to be one of those teams that have been making the super bowl on a regular basis while all these defenses have been doing that, which is we're going to run the ball against nickel and quarters, because you know what, once something becomes a trend or conventional, it's no longer safe and it's no longer the, the best thing to do. And what's funny is you mentioned three running backs in the second round that nobody liked. Well, I liked them, but there are a lot of people who didn't like them because they thought analytically, you know, Dalvin Cook didn't match the didn't match the combine numbers. Nick Chubb, he's, you know, he came off an injury and he looks like some sort of old version of Frank Gore, which was mind-boggling to me. And then that people thought that. Um, they obviously didn't watch the tape. And then who was the third back you mentioned? Oh, Derrick Henry. Everybody thought he was too big and too much of a plotter. And they compared him to LeGarrette Blunt, which people still get LeGarrette Blunt to this day wrong because he's actually. He LeGarrette Blunt's like the modern day version of Jerome Bettis in terms of how sweet his feet were and how quick he was. And if Bill Belichick's having him return kicks, you've seen him return kickoffs. I mean, I'm sorry. He may not be a, a track star, but if you're returning kickoffs in the NFL, um, you've got some quickness to you and they have some burst to you. And it, it's just hilarious. The takes that people have about this stuff. The fact is that these three running backs now that you could cite as saying, well, we you know, we've got good backs coming in the second round. That's all hindsight analysis for people because they didn't think any of them were even worth second round picks in many, in many respects. So to me, it's about what does your team need? How much of an impact is it going to make? And can you get better value later? And if you, and if you're scouting the running position back position, well, maybe you can this year, I think you can, you can get Trey Sermon rather than going after, you know, Najee Harris or Travis Etienne. Um, and I think that that would do you pretty well. Um, you could probably get Javante Williams a little bit later too and, and, and do well, or a Michael Carter, and some of those guys could be helpful to you. But the same token is it depends on the fit for your system and how close your team is. If your team is close, 
And all you need is a running back to complete this. You know, if the Jets had like, if they had more than Makai Becton, you know, on their line and, and they had, you know, and Sam Darnold was, you know, had taken the next steps and, you know, Adam Gase was the quarterback whisperer that he was supposed to be, that he never was. And then you like, and you put all that together and the young receivers were starting to blossom. Yes. Then you could say, you, you might have teams that say, well, we need more defensive help, but you could say, well, our offense is about one step away from being dynamic. And would you rather build on a strength and be great in one area? Because that's how most teams are that contend. They're at least great in one area. Or would you rather try and shore up a weakness where you've got miles to go? I would, then you, I would say, yeah, pick the running back early, but in this case, with the Jets and what's going on, I'd say you can wait a little bit. All right, cool. Let's let's stay on this running back. Well, one quick question. I mean, this offense is pretty much predicated on running and hitting that outside zone. And based on what you said about the backfield that we right presently have, I mean, if they're not going to really hit the ground running, you know, how much of that is going to affect Zach Wilson and his development? I think that it's, you know, that's the thing. It, it probably will um, because he's going to have to face defenses he's going to be in situations where defenses are going to be able to pin their ears back and be able to do things you know the jets are going to be out of their game plan you know if they can't if they're not going to be able to consistently run the ball at the level that that's really dangerous um then what's going to happen is that the jets are going to be in situations where the playbook isn't optimal for a quarterback you know third and long second and long you know, those types of situations where defenses know what's coming and know how to prepare for that. So early on, what you would expect from the guy like Zach Wilson, if it works out or if he works out that he's drafted is that he may have some success early because that most quarterbacks do because defenses play a rather vanilla look. And you're going to see a lot of yards from him and jets fans are going to be all excited. We got the right guy. Just like, just like the Browns did with Baker Mayfield and the cheat and the bears did with Mitchell Trubisky and the Jaguars did with Blake Bortles, you know, we got the right guy. And then, you know, after about 18 to 24 games, when defenses start to look at the tape and start to scout, they say, here are the five to seven plays a game where we can put Zach Wilson in a corner and make him do things that he doesn't look comfortable doing. Now you have to understand it takes 18 to 24 games because after the first eight games, that's when they start to, really four to six games, they start to collect tape and they have to decide, okay, we think there's 10 things that we see that might be weaknesses for Zach Wilson. We're going to, we can't try all 10 things because if we do, we might really fail in this way. So we're going to keep our defense the way it is, but we're going to try two to three things here. And then the next team's like, watches that tape and says, you know what? The, he was able to do those two things, but that one thing looks like he's still kind of iffy on let's do that. And so it takes gradual amount of time. And by, you know, 12 to 14 games, they start to get an idea of like, okay, here's three things. This guy can't do well. He's either going to have to improve or he's going to show that he never can do them. And if we can get him in these situations, we can do these things and they will, and those five to seven plays, will be the outcome of every quarterback and every offense pretty much in most tight games. And if a, uh, the average quarterback, if he can do three to, you know, probably three to five of those things, well, he wins the game. If he can make three to five, what I'm just going to say is if he can make three to five of those plays that are thrown at him, he's probably going to win the game. The, the above app, but um, the above average quarterback or the good quarterback probably makes five to seven of those plays and just puts that puts the game away. Most often the below average quarterback probably makes three or less, you know, and when they get stopped because teams know what, how to stop them and know that they can't do it, they can't improve. And this is who that guy is. And, and sometimes you'll see in big games, like with Bill Belichick with a decent quarterback, he'll be like, I found a solution. Here's what we're going to do. They've never seen it before. And they struggle on all those plays and the Patriots or whoever it is just blows them out because the scheme from that standpoint. But when you look at Zach Wilson, that's what will likely happen with him is he'll get tested and he'll have to show that he can either grow past it, overcome it, or it's going to show that he, he can't do it, you know, and then that's when you'll see the struggles, but most, most fan bases, they get over, they get too high on players and, you know, they'll look at a player like Marcus Mariota. And I remember, you know, people would, I talk about how robotic he was and, and he had skills to be a starter, but he was going to need some time. And, you know, 
first week he has a huge game everybody's like see he's a great player you know and now he's backing up you know Derek Carr and the Raiders you know you know that's how this works it takes time you know, Matt, the, the 49ers deploy a lot of two-back backfields, which include a fullback much of the time. So there is speculation the Jets may target a player who could fit that role. A lot of people have compared tight end Tommy Tremble to fullback Kyle Juszczyk. Is, is that a good co- comparison? Could Tremble be that guy in this offense? If not him, is there someone else you have in mind? He could be, but again, it's, it's kind of like chasing after Juszczyk more than anything. They're going to look for that. He, he is a good block. He is a I wouldn't necessarily say he's a good blocker. He's a good college blocker who has a very strong level of intensity to his play that people like. And so if he can develop his techniques as a blocker a little bit more, he's a little tall for a fullback. Um, He can catch the ball well. So there's potential there for him. You know, I know that Jets fans will probably be like, whatever, I don't like this guy. We need to get rid of him. He hasn't shown anything. But to me, Trevon Wesco is fine as a fullback. If you want to put, take Trevon Wesco and put him at H-back, the guy has tremendous burst, short area burst. That was the asset of his game. He's, he, was basically a, he was basically a sixth lineman for um, West Virginia. He's an excellent blocker. He can catch the ball. They just, you know, they just didn't use him. They didn't use him enough because guess what? They drafted a guy for a position that they really didn't need. He didn't fit what they were doing, and they didn't fit the offense around what he could do. So to me, Trevon Wesco would be a nice fit that you'd, I'd rather try him first than spend a third or fourth round pick on Tommy Tremble because you already have an asset there. And he's going to wind up on another team where he might end up being an asset. And, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, back in the day when the Browns had a bunch of receivers that they got rid of, like Willie Sneed and Doug and Taylor Gabriel, who wound up being good players um, because they didn't have, they didn't figure out a fit for him because they wanted these big, tall guys who couldn't play, um, you know, in their system. So when you look at this particular situation, yeah, I, Tommy Tremble's interesting, but you, if you want to go cheaper and get another player who might be able to be a fullback for you, you can, you can go later and get Dukes Noah Gray, who's actually quicker than Tommy Tremble, better short area quickness, better route running, good hands. And he's played H back and fullback for the most part with Duke. And you could see if you want to go with the, with a guy who's maybe a little faster because he's got that four, I think four, five, five speed. So he's a little faster than Tommy Tremble too. Um, who's And he can catch the ball. So when you look at all that, if you're going to go for that, go later and get a, get a guy who's a better athlete and maybe a little more proven in terms of his play rather than the guy that people are excited about the potential, but the reality hasn't fully set in in terms of his play. Yeah, and I think you nailed it, Matt, when you talk when you talked about what this chasing after things, right? So like the Browns did it because the the rage was big, tall receivers, right? Six four, two fifteen. You even saw it with the Packers doing it, you know, when they went after big corners, right? Because they thought, oh, we only have to defend Randy Moss, right? And so we would have got these big corners. Um, I want to pass it to Meeks before we before we wrap with you, Meeks. Go ahead. Yeah, Matt. Um, I know Zach Wilson isn't exactly your cup of tea, but for rookie quarterbacks the landing spot matters so much. How do you view the Jets as a landing spot for a potential rookie quarterback and how do they compare, do you think, to the other spots that are definitely going to take quarterbacks in this draft? Well, it's it's going to be a tougher one short-term, but could turn out to be a decent play long-term. I mean, obviously, if you can continue to build along the offensive line, you have promising receivers, I think, um, and I think that you can pick up a running back who's decent, so he's going to get plenty of experience and it's going to be down up to the coaching staff here and what they can do in the quarterback room to mentor him because who's the Jets backup quarterback? I don't, I don't know. Who, who is it? Uh, James Morgan. Okay. So they don't have a veteran have quarterback. A yeah. They don't have a veteran quarterback in the room, which, you know, again, we're talking about how these players learn and oftentimes how these players learn is not because the coaches are too wrapped up in the game plan. You know, they'll, they'll be a quarterback coach. They'll probably have, and he'll have a quarterback coach off, you know, away from the game that'll work on the techniques. You know, he'll be learning the game plan. You know, they'll be showing him things that maybe he needs to learn. But the, the guy that the kind of the hidden gem in teams that need to, that develop quarterbacks is the veteran quarterback who can show them the ropes of how to work best, how to work smart, 
what really to work on that's going to make a big difference to his game and show him pointers during the game at times too to say, all right, look, here's what the cornerback's doing. Here's what you need to look for. Here's what the safety's doing pre-snap. Here's what, you know, you notice how, you notice how that linebacker cut that off. This is what I saw pre-snap, you know, looking at the, the, and being able to give their eyes because sometimes backup quarterbacks, they may be, the thing about veteran backup quarterbacks often is, is that they may not be the greatest executors, but they know what they're talking about and they see the field. Well, oftentimes if they hang around, well, they just can't do it when they get on the field. Um, which is often the case. It's like when you have a great coach who's like, you don't expect a coach to go out there and throw 50-yard bombs, but, you know, or like a gym, gymnastics coach, you know, a gymnastic coach may not be asked to do all the, all the tumbling that, you know, the gymnasts have to do, but they understand the different little nuances to help that person get to where they can go physically. And I think a, a court, you know, a, a backup quarterback's that way. So when you look at the Jets, I don't think it's ideal compared to the other situations. I mean, look at, you look at San Francisco and not only do they have a guy who has a, a, who, you know, really is a, you know, second generation of this offense, but you also have a strong offensive line, strong receivers. Um, the, everyone knows the system. Well, they're not in a new system. So everyone's not learning that Atlanta, it's a newish system, but you have a veteran quarterback and Matt Ryan, you've got Matt Shaw behind him, you, you know, really. And so you can have a player couched between those two guys. You still have Julio Jones and Calvin Johnson. Um, you know, so you have that in, in play. And then when we look at other teams, like say, Oh, I don't know, Jacksonville, you know, the offensive line isn't horrible, but Gardner Minshew's gotten enough playing experience and he's a smart dude that that's not bad experience to be sitting behind, you know, to be there in the room. And they still have, um, you, you know, you look at the receiving core that they have, which is young and fairly strong. They have a good running game. Um, there's some cohesion there, even though if Irvin Meyer, I would say the Jets, it would probably be like San Francisco, Atlanta, and I might even put Atlanta above it, but I'll, Atlanta, um, San Francisco's line is the best. Atlanta after that, probably Jacksonville. And then you could probably add Minnesota if they wanted to draft a quarterback and put them somewhere above Jacksonville. And then I'm going to put the Jets at below Jacksonville in terms of how I'd rate it. And a lot of it has to do with the line play, the changes everyone has to go through. So everyone's going to be learning. So on that end, it's, it's going to be a rougher situation for a young quarterback. Um, but at the same time, they're all growing together. So it's not like the pressure from the players is going to be strong or the pressure from the coach is going to be strong. So that's the, that's the optimistic part is that the saving grace is that there's room to grow. And we've seen players grow through that, but it's, but this could be, you know, it could have some ugly moments. That's for sure. And as Jet fans, I think we all we're we're all familiar with ugly moments. We're hoping that this is the start of being the end of that. Sure, <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was super insightful, and and I think you've given. I think you've also debunked a lot of narratives that we've been hit with over the last few months uh, from Jet fans in particular, who very similar to our owner consume ESPN at a high <laughs> at a high enough. Hey, dose, it's a right? great. Yeah, I mean it's a great it's a great channel and it's entertaining, but you know, a lot of the a lot of the stuff too is you know, a lot of the stuff is the way that it is. And we and that's major media and they're the big voice, they're the bully on the pulpit. And that's what, you know, and, and that's the that's kind of the barometer for what owners look at. You know, that's that's how it goes sometimes. And and owners are much more reactive than we give them than we give them credit for. That's true. That's true. There is no pay. There is nobody less patient in sports than an NFL owner, I believe. Uh, so Matt, thank you again, seriously, for joining us. Thank We'd you. love to have you on during the summer. Once we see that Zach Wilson just threw a ball like nine inches above Corey Davis's head, or, you know, he threw a turnover right into Bryce Hall, we'll be able to say, see, Matt told you that there were going to be when, rough moments. Or, or when he has, or when he has, you know, five touchdowns and no interceptions yeah. after two games. And everybody says he's a hall of famer. That's right. Cause you know, that, you know, the daily it. news, you know, they'll put him on the back. They'll start calling him Broadway Zach. Like they did Gino and Sam and all the other ones. They'll, uh, they'll do it all. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matt. We appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot there, right? I think that, um, I think that when you have, you know, 
so many dueling priorities with players and and with front offices, right? Um, I'm curious to see what what Joe Douglas ends up doing after you know Zach Wilson, who's the presumptive pick at number two. Meigs, I'll go to you right now for your Michael's minute. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna talk about the New York Jets' favorite thing: defensive tackles. Christian Barmore, baby. Christian Barmore is a great football player, but he might be my most frustrating watch in the entire class because the high end of him is so good. It's like I'm watching Quinn Williams again. He's so fast. He's so powerful. But like his motor, it's when he wants to play, he's dominant. And then sometimes he disappears. And he's a younger player. I think he's only a redshirt sophomore. And I would take him in the first round, not for the Jets, because if they draft another defensive tackle, I'm, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving this franchise for good. You can, you can quote me on that, but Christian Barmore is a really good football player. And I think he's going to make a lot of, te- I think he's going to make a team very happy. And he, this defensive tackle class is really weak, but he's a very, very good football player. Yeah, I agree with you, Meeks. I think the, I think the interior defensive line class is probably one of the weakest that it's been in a really long time. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that when you're good in weak classes, right? Like that always tends to give me a little pause because I'm like, maybe I'm just looking for somebody to be good out of this group. But I think Barmore is interesting because I think with him, what you get is a guy that you draft him and you suddenly look up and he's got six, seven sacks, right? Because he's been just destroying guards on the interior. Um, let's dive right in, guys. We are wrapping up our positional breakdowns for the draft. As you guys have known, we've gone through quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, offensive line. Uh, we are finishing up right now with linebackers, cornerbacks, and safeties. Now, a lot of Jet fans believe that the Jets need an inside linebacker. This is, they're getting back. C.J. Mosley, they signed Gerard Davis from Detroit to a one-year $7 million deal. I don't think they're going to add an inside linebacker. Maybe they add one late as a developmental prospect, but they do need something on the uh, – they, they do need something out at the outside linebacker position slash edge group, right? And we talked with John Ledger last week about edge. Now, Meeks, you and I – and I told you this, I've done so many mocks and Makai Parsons ends up, <laughs> ends up falling all the time. I will not say that, I, that we should take him at 23, but one of the guys that you've been really, really high on is Jamin Davis from Kentucky. And you've been high on him for the last three weeks. What do you like about him in terms of him being a fit for the Jets? Um, and is it more an heir apparent to CJ Mosley or are you thinking some outside linebacker reps? What are your thoughts? I mean, for me, Jamin Davis, it's like, he's so athletic. And you just love him. And his instincts are there. He just doesn't have a lot of really good tape. Like he has one really good tape of Kentucky. And it's a little questionable that it took him so long to get on the field at Kentucky. Like this is in Alabama. This is like a premier SEC school. But we've all, everyone's heard that Robert Sala is like a linebacker whisperer. And not the way Adam Gase was a quarterback whisperer. He was actually a linebacker whisperer. And I really want to give him like a really athletic linebacker that he can mold his little ball of clay and really mold into something because that's the position I trust him probably most of anything on the field. And that's what Jamin Davis is. Like Jamin Davis is a project. That's a really high end project that could really yield some rewards. And there's a couple of guys in this class. I really like on day two that I think the jets will address linebacker and give Robert Sala that toy to play with. Yeah, I agree. James, you had a question for both of us. Go. Yeah. Something I was wondering is two prospects who seem on the surface similar are Jameen Davis and Jabril Cox. Both of them are tall, relatively thin for their position, very athletic, um, good in coverage from what I've heard. But what do you see as the differences between those two players? I think Jabril, the first guy. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say I think Jabril Cox has a lot more polish to his game. I think like you really saw like Jabril Cox, like he was playing at North Dakota State and we were getting the Trey Lance thing. Like, yes, he's playing against FC, he looks fast when he plays against FCS people. He looks athletic when he plays against FCS people, but when you go to LSU, like What's it going to look like? And I think he showed that he belongs. I think Jabril Cox isn't necessarily, he's not the level of athlete Jan and Davis is. Like Jan and Davis is a real 4-3 athlete. Jabril Cox probably runs in four fives, but I think he has better instincts and he's a little more polished to a player. So I just think he's further along in the prospect in the, in the process. So that's what, I think Jabril Cox is a player that is going to be better right away. And I think there's less variance to his game, which you just want that safer player. That's why you lean him over to Jan and Davis. Yeah, I think I think it needs a spot on. I think for me, the the concerns for Cox for me are 
how does he look playing through contact, right? And like that's that's a concern for me, right? Um, I think that, but I do think Meeks is right. I think Cox will come in, and Cox is a guy that I think he can he can produce right away. I think Davis will be the better player long term because I I just I think his ceiling is so much higher. And I think and I think when we and one of the things James that you've heard me say a lot, right, is uh, positionless football, right? I think defense is what you're going to see, and the Jets are gonna are gonna be no different. Teams no longer use base defenses like that, right? Like you're in nickel sixty percent of the time. I think was the breakdown 65% of the time. So you're looking at a Jets team that's probably going to be in more maybe 426 looks, right? Or 42427, 425 looks or whatever, or even 326 looks, right? So and the two linebackers in that in that formation need to be able to cover, right? Which is why they went and got Gerard Davis because the one thing that Gerard Davis has is athleticism, right? He's not necessarily a great cover linebacker, but he's really athletic. So he can stick with running backs on wheel routes. He can maybe cover tight ends in the flat in a zone scheme, right? They're going to need somebody that can do a lot of that and I think Davis and Cox both give that I think Davis is going to give it to you for longer with Cox the worry is eventually because Matt Matt raised a really good point when you go to the five two looks right you're just going to run on that. You, you, the, the assumption is you're going to run on that. No, teams are going to throw on that. So when you go to the four, two looks or the three, two looks, you're just going to run on that anyway. And you need to be, a, a, you need to be a linebacker that can cover and, and, uh, and secure the ball carrier. And Jabril Cox has concerns. I have concerns in his game about that. Whereas John Davis, I don't think he'll have that issue. I think John Davis will be able to really tackle really, really well early on. Um, so I think that's a really good point. Let's jump right to cornerbacks. You know, as we wrap this, this episode, James, Hit me with your hottest take on this cornerback group, please. Yeah, so uh, I'll just go through my top five. So my number one corner is J.C. Horn. My number two corner is Pat Sertan. My number three corner is Greg Newsom, who is slightly ahead of Caleb Farley. And then my number five corner is Eric Stokes. So just explaining my rationale. Um, the questions, if I were uh, a listener, that would come to mind would be, number one, why is J.C. Horn CB1? Why is Farley below Newsom? And why is Stokes CB5? The reason J.C. Horn is my number one corner is because I think he has more versatility than people give him credit for in terms of playing man and playing zone and also playing off coverage, which I think is something that he um, was pretty good at. I mean, if you look at one rep in particular, I think it's against Alabama during the cover four shell. And I think they check it down to the running back in the flat. And um, Horn is like 15 yards away from the ball carrier. He closes in like an instant. So I think he's more capable in off coverage than people give him credit for. He's so good contesting the football. I think he has great athleticism. Um, so I think he's really a stud corner. Now, why is Caleb Farley below Greg Newsom? Now, I think in terms of pure player, I mean, he's better than, than Greg Newsom. He's more desirable than Greg Newsom. But Caleb Farley also has a worse injury history. Now, I've heard some equivalences drawn between the two, but I really don't see any equivalence between the injury histories. Greg Newsom has never had a surgery. Um, Caleb Farley has torn his ACL um, in a non-contact practice. And he also had back spasms in 2019 and just had back surgery on a disc problem uh, a few weeks ago. So these are very different injury profiles. But that said, I mean, I think both of them are really good players. I just think there's more risk with Farley than there is with Newsom. And then lastly, Eric Stokes, why is he CB5? I just think people are sleeping on him. I mean, he's, he has elite athleticism in terms of speed. And I think pretty good in terms of explosiveness. Um, he has good length. I think he has 32 inch arms. Um, and he's just always in phase with receivers, even if he's going up against really good receivers. And so I see with, um, Stokes, a high end CB2, that's what I see with him. And that's a valuable piece to have on your team. Yeah. I like, I like what you, I like what you mentioned in terms of just when you're looking at guys and I think Caleb, Caleb's an interesting player because I think you and I both agree and Meigs, you, you were a little angry with me because I do not have him in my top five corners uh, because I, because I think, I think there's a lot of projection that's going on with Caleb. Right. And, and I get that. I think that's a lot of this, right? Like it's a lot of, you know, and, and Meigs, you raised a really good point a couple of weeks ago, right? Like how can we project, how can we refuse to project with Caleb Farley, but project, but project with Trey Lance. Right. And, and I think that that's valid. I think that, that, that that's valid. Although I, I will say, I think Trey Lance has, I think Trey Lance balled in 2019, right? So I, I think I think he balled in 2019. James, you also raised that point too about a month, month and a half ago when you were talking to Joe. So I, I think for me, 
the top three corners, I think we're all fairly similar in that, right? It's Sertain, Horn, and Newsom. Those are my top three corners. My fourth, my number four, though, is Asante Samuel Jr. I think that Asante Samuel Jr. is really good in man and really good in zone. I think that I think the the issues with him, he played more man in 2019, played more zone in 2020, and I think I think you saw some hiccups there in 2020, right, with him playing in zone. And the ball found him way more than he found the ball, and that's something that like I I would love to see him work on is be is be more be more of a turnover machine at corner because I think he has decent closing speed. And I think that it's very rare. His worst game was the game against Notre Dame. I thought he got cooked against Notre Dame, right? But it's very rare for him to have bad tape. And then I think when you look at some of these guys, some of these corners, scheme is going to matter so much, but I tend to gravitate towards corners that can play in man, right? And that's why, like James, your point about Eric Stokes, right? I think I think Eric Stokes is interesting because I think he's a better fit as a, in a zone scheme because I think what you what you see with it, I don't love his hips, I don't love his closing speed, but he does not give up on plays in man, and that's what you want to see from some of these corners. Meigs, I'll go to you for your top five corners, especially because we know you love you some Caleb Farley. Caleb Farley is one, and it's not close. Taking Caleb Farley in ball in 2019 is just straight heresy, and I will not stand for it. Number two is Patrick Shatan. I think he's he's the safest defensive player in the draft because Harley has the injury history and like you really don't know with him like having two back surgeries having the knee but like Sertan it's like he's almost boring to watch because he's so technically sound he can play press man he can play zone little question about the deep seat deep speed he got beat a couple times deep especially against Tennessee against Josh Palmer which I was a little surprised about but just a rock solid player three is Greg Newsom. I think he's one of the most I think he's the most versatile corner I think what he can do in man, you can get to see a lot at Northwestern, but I think it's there. Really, really good athlete, really good in zone. Love him. Love him for the jet scheme. Four is JC Horn. I just don't think he can play besides press man because JC Horn tries to, he tries to end every route at the line. He tries to do, and he's physical, and that's good. That's what you want for a press man corner. But when someone has a counter that's shifty and he's not trying to go through you like Seth Williams goes around you like Elijah Moore, he struggles. That's, why? So if you want to, if you're going to let JC Horn play press man, take him in the first round. If you want to want JC Horn to adapt to your zone scheme, I think there's going to be some growing pains. That's why I don't have him as a first round player. And number five for me is Asante Samuel, just a smart player, a lot like his dad. If you want a cornerback who's going to play off the line of scrimmage and always be in the right place at the right time and have a nose for the ball, Asante Samuel. Also, for a smaller guy, wonderful tackle. Wonderful. And I think I think that's I think it's a I think it's a really good point. And I think when I, I also think, and this is a perfect segue to us wrapping with our safety rankings and our safety talk, right? Like some of these guys are gonna end up playing safety. It's just kind of the reality, right? Like for me, my top five, my fifth corner is Elijah Molden, right? But Elijah Molden may be a guy that's asked to play safety. Like he's, he's just a, yeah, he's just a guy that may be asked to play safety because it's just I think with Elijah Molden, like again, and I like him in I like him as a slot corner, but I think that if you really want to maximize his potential, he's going to have to be used as like a Swiss army weapon in the, in, in a defense. He's not, if you stick him on an Island, if you think you're getting an outside corner with Elijah Molden, that's concerning. I think, I think, I think you're going to see him out of the league faster than not. Um, let's go right to safety because the jets, they franchise tagged Marcus may um, his agent was not happy about it. It would not surprise me if Marcus may is traded at the trade deadline. I, I will say that because the jets drafted Ashton Davis, right? They wanted, they, they, they signed, um, they signed the Michael Joyner who again was a pretty good safety with the Rams or whatever. Then the Raiders tried to turn him into something he was not. <laughs> um, but my, so my top five corners at Meeks, this is where I think you and I have the biggest difference. So Trevon Morig is my number one safety. So I will say this. I have no safety with a first round grade in this class, no safety, because I do not think that there is a single safety in this class that warrants a top 32 pick. That's not to say that I think that this class is terrible at safety. I think there's some good players, but I think you're going to get better value taking guys in the middle of the second round, third round, fourth round. Um, so Trevon Mooring's my my number one. Me and James are united in our love for Hamza, right? Like again, that Florida State secondary to me was one of the more impressive secondaries in in college football last year, and I think it's particularly because of Hamza and Asante Samuel. Third, Andre Cisco. That Syracuse secondary, also good with Cisco and Trill Williams. And I love Andre Cisco. Meigs, you, you did hit it on the head, though. If he's not getting picks, you're not getting much. From him. You're not getting much from him. But I think he's a ball. I think he's a ball hawk. And I think when we talk about this turning into a positionless league, you're going to need guys that just take the ball back. That's what you're going to need. And I think with a guy like Jamal Adams, right, who's no longer here, Jamal, and he didn't die. That's not what me saying he's no longer here. <laughs> but Jamal Adams no longer being in New York. Jamal Adams, 
again, he plays so close to the line or whatever, and his value is really in, can you cause turnovers? Can you sack the quarterback? Andre Cisco is the reverse of that in that his value is really like, can I go get the ball? That's his value, right? Um, and I think for me, it's, I would love to see him paired with Ashton Davis because I think they're two very, very different, two very, very different safeties. Number four, our Darius Washington. Again, that TCU secondary, also very good. And I love our Darius Washington. I think, and Meeks, we talked about him. Is he a guy that, again, maybe he goes down into the slot as a corner. Maybe he's got a future as a cornerback, but I love him as a safety. I think he's a really, really good player. And number five, I went with Caden Stearns from Texas, who I really, really like. And this is why Meigs, you can't see him, but he's rolling his eyes at me because I did not include his guy, Jamar Johnson from Indiana. Meigs, I will go to you for, for, for your safety list. Oh, and yeah. wait, we should, we should preface this by saying Meigs and I both do not like Richie Grant. I need yeah. you to stop sending us, you know, pictures of him in yeah. Jets jerseys. He's not the yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. Safeties who can't tackle and like struggle play single high and can, can't, if you can't tackle, you can't cover, you can't play safety. And that's what I worry about with Grant. But number one is Trayvon Morick, who I have in the first round. Just picture perfect safety, 6'1, 205, great athlete, good tackler, knows where the ball is. I think, I don't know if I would play him single high exactly, but I would just put him, stick him in a two safety thing. I think he moves really well. He's just a rock solid football player. Number two, Jamar Johnson, great in coverage. His high-end plays are so much fun to watch. He needs to clean up his tackling a little bit, but I think the effort's there, and that's something that can be worked on. Number three I have is Elijah Molden, who I think can also play slot corner. Just, just get him on the field. Really good football player. I really like him. Number four, I have Javon Holland, who also knows where the ball is. He was As a freshman, he was a safety. As a sophomore, he was a slot corner. He opted out in 2020, which I really wanted to see him, but nine picks in two years. Shows he really knows where the ball is. And number five, I have Darius Washington. He's small, but you just you just want that guy in your football team. He's just he just fights. He just fights. And I really like him. And our Darius Washington to me is the 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 meta world piece of this draft class where like he is going to punch you in the throat. Like I, I and that's the guy that like you hate him when he's on another team, right? Because there's a pile and he's probably like stabbing somebody, but he's the guy you want on your team. Guys, James, I will go to you as we wrap this. Give me a fuego take to send the listeners off to as we are now a week away from the NFL draft. Give me the hottest take that you can drop for these folks. Oh, wow. Okay. You're really putting <laughs> me on the spot here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hottest take is probably that like this running back class really sucks and you shouldn't invest anything in it after the top three running backs. Cause I see people hyping up Mark, Michael Carter when that dude comes to Naeem Hines, who's like going to be signing a $1 million contract in three years. So I, I don't know. I'd say that's probably my hottest take right now. So I will say my hot take is that, no, I do not think that the Jets are going to trade up for Kyle Pitts. I don't think that's going to happen <laughs> um, as much as, you know, and when I wrote my, my pick six for brass catchers, my one worry about Kyle Pitts was that we did not do well enough last year that we could have added him to a quarterback. That's my one worry about Kyle Pitts. Meigs, what's your, what's your hot take for this, for this week? I think drafting edge at 23 would be a mistake. I like it. I really think that that's not when they, I think he took Jabari Zuniga last year as a developmental edge, let him develop. You have Carl Lawson, you have enough assets on the D line, go help your quarterback. If the Jets make two defensive picks at 23 and 34, I'm going to murder you I will say, I will say that any, def I, I would not be mad if the Jets took only one defensive player and that's cornerback. If you take, if you take just one and then the rest are offense, I think we're good. I think we're in good shape. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Once again, remember we are live from Camilla's tasting room on during the first round of the draft from seven to 11 tickets are, I think we only have like five tickets left. So make sure you get your tickets. They are free. Um, come and get some food, come and get some grub. Uh, we're expecting a really good turnout. We're going to stream the whole thing on TOJ's YouTube channel. Make sure to tune in to TOJ live and launches with the first episode in may make sure to tune in to badlands the draft guide drops two days before this episode is dropping but if you don't get it by that monday make sure you get it after you hear this uh keep listening to toj pod remember we have three giveaways joe is trying to give you 50 dollars Will is trying to give you the Method Man black and green Jets jacket. And we are trying to give you two tickets to the home opener that the Jets have provided to us to give to you. All you need to do is send a mock draft. If you guess the most picks, you will be entered. Send a picture of your review of all the pods, Badlands, TOJ pod and draft season. And subscribe to the YouTube channel. 
and you will be entered to win all of those prizes. So yeah, make sure you do that. Um, thank you guys for joining us. Big thank you to Matt Waldman for joining us this week. And we will be back next week.